Well, it's so good to have you with us here today at Arise Baptist Church. It's a special day for us as uh, we are looking forward to celebrating all the good things that God has done for us as a church and looking forward to celebrating that together with you today. I know you can already smell the lunch cooking. There's no way to escape that. And uh, we're thankful for the folks that were here early this morning preparing for that. People have done work this week to make sure that's ready for you. Hope you'll stay and enjoy the meal with us. And then directly after the meal, we will have a special service of looking forward to this next year. As you see, we have our theme banners on the wall. Our theme for this next year is Advance, taking the next step. We want to take the next step in our service and faithfulness to the Lord. I love what that verse says, as you see it on the, on the wall there. Man plans, but God directs, is what it teaches us there. The heart of man deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And we need to keep that as our focus. While we have plans and we're excited about what the Lord has for us, we need to walk by faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Ask God to bless this day and let's thank Him for it together. Heavenly Father, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we rejoice together this morning to be able to gather in this place. Lord, where it's warm, where the lights are on, where someone has taken their time and effort to clean and prepare People have put together food for us to enjoy after the service. Musicians have prepared and practiced. Folks have come together to worship you today, Lord. Lord, we've planned, we've prepared, we've put all this together, Lord, because we want to come and worship you today. Lord, we pray that our worship would be pure, that it would be focused on you and not us. Lord, that we would not exalt ourselves today, or even this group, Lord, but we would exalt you. I pray that you would work in our hearts today, challenge us, encourage us. Lord, I think especially today of the Tanner family who's away. Be with Brother John Tanner, Brother Josh's brother, and his health, Lord, with the cancer that he's dealing with. I pray that you'd strengthen his body, that you would heal him, Lord. Pray that you'd give them safety as they come back this week, but give them precious time, special fellowship with their family as they're with them today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless all that's done in the service today, and we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning. I want you to turn to the book of Judges. I had Freddie read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians this morning as we think about our confidence in the Lord, that we can be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But I want us to go back to the book of Judges this morning, and I want us to look at a very interesting, I think, passage of Scripture that has some encouragement for us, but also has some warning. You know, when we come to church I, I don't know about you, but I like to come and get encouraged. I like to come and, and, and find some help, some encouragement. You come off of a busy week, lots of things going on, lots of cares of this world, 
that are taking up your mind and your energy. I know in our family there's a lot going on these days. My sister gets married on Saturday. So I have a wedding to prepare this week. We've got all kinds of things going on. But you know what? My job's easy. I just have to get up and, and say a few things. I, it's pretty easy. I get dressed for a wedding about like I get dressed to come to church. You know, I just show up. I stand where they tell me to stand. I speak when they tell me to speak. I eat cake when they tell me to eat cake. You know, I just do what they tell me to do and everything will be just fine. Now for the bride, on the other hand, and the mother of the bride and all the other people involved, there's a little bit more on their mind because weddings are a very special time. I'm sure you have things on your mind this week too, things that maybe it's not weddings, maybe it's a difficult thing. I talked to several people this week who are going through some very difficult physical challenges, people that are sick. Talked with Brother Josh this week about his brother John. We prayed for him during the service. I, I talked with Katie Spencer yesterday, and she's doing a little bit better, but she's been dealing with her heart being out of rhythm. They had to shock her heart a couple of times. Others are dealing with other physical difficulties. Some of you are dealing with spiritual battles. You're feeling Satan at work. He's fighting against you. Maybe it's just dealing with the struggle of your own flesh. The difficulties that we have as human beings because we're pretty weak ultimately and we find ourselves struggling with those things. I don't know what you came with this morning, but I want to be able to encourage you today, but I also want to warn you this morning. Say, warn me? What do we need warnings about? Well, God's Word is full of warnings. It's full of things that teach us and instruct us and warn us about going a certain way so that we might stay on the right path. In fact, God's Word speaks about this over in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's to teach you what's right, for reproof, that's to tell you when you're wrong, doctrine, reproof, correction, that's to help you get back right. And then instruction in righteousness. Somebody said, that's to tell you how to stay right. So God's Word is full of warnings. And in Judges chapter 2, we have detailed for us a little bit of the history, kind of a summary of what took place after Joshua died. Now, some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, I don't know who Joshua is. So let me give you a little background and then we'll read our text together this morning. So, I'm sure you've heard of the children of Israel, or the Jewish people. Many, many years ago, the Bible tells us this, we know they were enslaved in the nation of Egypt. God freed them from Egypt through the ten plagues, through Moses, God's chosen servant who led his people out. And last Sunday, we studied the story together of when the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea. You notice I said cross through the Red Sea because literally the Bible says the waters were parted on either side and they walked through on dry ground. And we thought about that idea of going forward when God calls us to obey 
that we should go, even if we aren't sure how to get there, because it looks like it's impossible to go through. But when God tells us to do something, God always makes a way to get it done. But we follow along the story of the children of Israel a little further. As they then travel through the wilderness, the Bible tells us that they came to the promised land. But instead of going right into the promised land and taking the promised land, as God had commanded them to do, they first sent in 12 spies to spy out the land. They wanted to see what they were getting themselves into. Have you ever found yourself doing this with God? That you know God commands us to do something, He commands us to obey Him, to walk by faith, to do what He tells us to do, but we kind of want to spy out the land a little bit before we actually go in and do what God says to do. Like, God, I know you said this, but let me just check and make sure if it really works before I do it. That's a backwards way to look at God, isn't it? That's saying, well, I don't really trust you, God. I trust myself. But they sent those 12 men into Canaan. And some of you, if you grew up in church as children, you might have learned the song. 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. I just love that song because of the hand motions. It was so cool. 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. You can practice that later in front of the mirror, okay? You don't, some of you are going to be doing this in the service and miss the whole message this morning. But 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. The, the song says, Some saw giants big and tall wasn't talking about me. We're talking about real giants. Some saw grapes in clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. You say, what do you mean ten were bad and two were good? Well, when the spies came back from spying out the promised land, they asked the spies to give a report to all the people. And ten of the spies said, oh no, we can't take this land. There are giants in the land, the Bible actually says it this way, that they said, next to those giants, we are like grasshoppers. You say, wow, that's, maybe I, is that how I make some of you feel? If it is, I'm really sorry. I hope you don't feel like a grasshopper, but I don't think I'm a giant like these were giants. We're talking about true giant people, people that were very tall. So 10 of the spies said, we can't do it. Two of the spies said, Yes, we can. Let's obey God. Let's trust God. God will give us the victory. Those two spies were by the name, one was named Joshua. Probably familiar with him. There's a book of the Bible named after him. And then the other one was a man by the name of Caleb. And Caleb is a really fun guy to study as well. We'll look at him another time. But he was some 80 years old when they finally went in to possess the land. And he goes to Joshua after helping to, with all the other battles and things that they had to fight. And he comes back to him. He says, Joshua, I'm old, but I'm still ready to go. Is basically what he says. He says, give me this mountain. And old Caleb, as an 80-year-old man, he still goes out and fights battles for the Lord. What an encouragement that God's never done with you, is he? Until he takes you home. If you're here, you're here for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. Don't ever forget that. But those two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's go, let's trust the Lord. Well, the people believed the ten. 
Let me just encourage you with a little thought this morning. The majority is not always right. The majority is not always right. Sometimes it's easier to go along with the majority opinion, but the majority opinion does not determine what is right or wrong. The only, the only truth that determines right and wrong is God. And God, well, we may not look at Him in the majority, God is always the majority, because He's God. He is omnipresent, He's everywhere, He has all power, He has all knowledge. But anyway, the people of Israel, they chose to say, you know what, we can't do it. And so because of that, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Now, some of you may be going through some times in your life where you feel like, I'm wandering right now. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go. I'm wandering. Here's another neat little thing that I was thinking about in preparation for this. You know, even though they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of obedience, did you know for those 40 years, God still never left them? Even though they were wandering, they weren't where God had commanded them to go, God was still with them. The pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day still went with them. God still provided the manna. In fact, the Bible tells us that the shoes on their feet didn't even wear out. Isn't that amazing? You say, you mean to tell me, Pastor, that these people were disobedient and didn't have faith and God was still with them? Yes. Amen. God's with you, even if you're not really with Him. God loves us. God wants us to follow Him. God wants us to obey Him. God wants to bring forth His purpose in our lives. But God is a God of mercy, a God of love. So the people spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Finally, the Bible says that older generation, the generation that did not walk by faith and go into the promised land, they all died off and their children grew up. And so God raised up Joshua as the leader and He led the children of Israel into the promised land. And there's a whole wonderful story through the book of Joshua as God led His people. It's not all high points, there's some low points too. You read about the sin of Achan and the defeat at the battle of Ai. You read of some difficulties along the way, but you read of how God led His people into the promised land. How they won victories that really, humanly speaking, they should not have won. But God gave them the victory because God always wins. And God was going to accomplish His purpose. But then, as the story continues on, as history does... Joshua then gets old and he dies as well. And this is where we pick up the story this morning. Joshua or Judges, I'm sorry, chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 and verse number 6. Follow along with me with if you will. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Harris. 
in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. Wow, there's quite a change in those verses. Did you notice it? We go from people following the Lord and seeing the great works of the Lord to the death of Joshua and then very soon. Verse 11, or verse 10 says, And also all that generation were gathered unto the fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, I think we see three different generations described for us. We have the first generation. This was the generation of Joshua and Caleb. These were the men and the women who walked by faith and obedience. These were the ones who went in and possessed the land that God had given them. And then we have the next generation that grew up after them. This was the generation who had heard about the works that God had done. They had seen what God had done for their parents. But then we read of this third generation. This third generation that rose up after this generation. It speaks to them in verse number 10. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. I think we could categorize these generations this way. The first generation is holy. They are set apart. They are focused on following God and trusting Him. The second generation, we might categorize them as religious. They they knew of what had been done. They were probably still following in many of the ways of their fathers. But it was more just a form just an outward appearance. This is just what we do because this is how we grew up. And then the third generation, the third generation, they fall away. The third generation is godless. It says, They knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. You know, this little passage of scripture these few verses describe for us the history of the people of God beginning with the Old Testament and really continuing down to this day this same cycle still happens today it's not something that was unique to these people back then you know it's this first generation is marked by A group of people that experiences great victory and growth. The second generation is characterized by entrenchment, holding on to what we have. The third generation is marked by decline. Marked by decline. You know, it's difficult to find a religious institution that's more than 100 years old that still holds to the principles of its founding fathers. You look around our country, you look around the world. They all experience a lot of change. And I'm not just talking about change as, you know, 
people grow up and they get old. I'm talking about changes in their fundamental founding principles, what they believe. I mean, you look around. Find a church that is 100 years old that is still holding to the same truth that it held to 100 years ago. You might find them, but they're very few and far between. Why is it? Because this is the natural cycle that people follow. And while this is the natural cycle, I would submit to you this morning that this is a cycle that I believe is possible in the strength of the Lord. I believe it's possible to break this cycle. And I believe we as Christians ought to do our very best to follow God and trust Him to break this cycle. We've had a good year. We've had a good couple of years. God is blessed in our church. God is blessed in your lives. We've seen many people added to our church. We've seen many people trust Christ. We've seen people baptized. We have many people studying God's Word and growing together. There's, there's twice as many people here now as there were a year ago. That's all great. But I don't want us to get so focused on enjoying the growth that we forget about what could come next. This is a warning for us this morning. You say on a vision Sunday, on the day when we're excited about the future, this is the day you warn us? I think this is important. I've been studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been, we began a study in that on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock during our prayer service. We have Bible study in Ecclesiastes and time of prayer. Ecclesiastes says this, The end of a thing is better than the beginning. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of rejoicing. Say, why would it say that? Because we often think better and consider better and and look at situations better when things are hard than when things are good. Here's how it can happen. Listen, when God is blessing and when the church is growing and everybody's happy and everything's good, we'll easily forget about Maybe little things say, those things don't matter. Let's just, let's just have a good time. Everybody's here to have a good time. But when we go through difficulty, somebody's struggling, somebody's hurt, something happens, that's when often the de- things break and they fall apart. Why? Because when things are good, when things are pointed up, we'll kind of ignore all that little stuff. Say, those things don't matter. And yet they do matter. Truth matters. Truth matters. And when things go into decline, people often begin to fight and begin to struggle and begin to have hard times. And so I think it's very important for us as we're in a period of growth, as we're in a period of blessing, as God is doing great things, that we remind ourselves and refocus ourselves on what is the truth. How did we get to the point where we are? And how do we continue to follow God by faith? That we don't take our eyes off of God and get our eyes on ourselves or on this world around us and forget to follow the one who brought us to the place where we are. That's really what we see in the story of the people of Israel, is that they would follow God, then they would look away, get their eyes on themselves or on their neighbors. First they'd follow God, then they begin to say, you know what, we followed God, God's blessed us. We're experiencing a, a good time of, of richness and blessing. Hey, those guys over there, those neighbors, 
I'd really like for them to be able to come over and let's be able to get together and visit. And so they'd look at their neighbors and they'd realize, wait a minute, those neighbors worship a different God than we worship. Those neighbors worship false gods. Maybe if we build some of those idols over here and we start to worship those idols, those neighbors will come over and, I mean, listen, that provides more opportunities for people, for our children to marry. It provides better business opportunities. I mean, this was the kind of stuff that was going on. You see, it's easy for us to begin to compromise truth when we are in a position of richness, blessing. And we forget how we ended up where we are. So here's a few things I wrote down of things that keep truth from being passed down to the next generation. Because that's really what it's all about, right? About passing what God has done in our lives and what God has done through us and passing that down to the next generation so that they might experience the same things. But here's some things that keep that from happening. Number one, I think pride keeps that from happening. When we are not humble, when we're full of ourselves, look what I did, look at me, we're not really passing down the truth. Because did I get us here? Did you get yourself where you are? No. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing that you have is a gift from God. Even your life, your breath, Psalm 139 speaks of how God knew us even when, before we were formed in our mother's womb. It all comes from God. Pride can keep us from passing down the truth. Unbelief and unwillingness to trust God. Here's another one, the desire to please others instead of God. Let me check and see what my neighbors think before I check and see what God thinks. Folks, God is the ultimate authority. doesn't mean we aren't loving and kind and helpful, but it matters more what God thinks than what anybody else in this whole world thinks. Simple disobedience, a refusal to obey the commands of our authority. Another one that falls in line with this, impurity. An unwillingness to live a pure life before God. Allowing sin and other things to cloud our thinking, to distract us, to get us off the path. Here's a few myths about passing on our faith to the next generation. These are some things that people might believe that really aren't true. Some people think, well, it just happens by osmosis. Listen, it didn't work with your math book. Some of you tried that. You slept on your math book and hoped that it would somehow find its way into your head. It doesn't work that way with God's book either. It doesn't work that way with the truth and following God. You say, well, we had the kids in church. Why didn't they follow in our footsteps? It doesn't happen by osmosis. Just hanging around good things, doesn't automatically make everybody else good. 
It is true that some things are better caught than taught, but we must actively teach and instruct and lead our young people and those who come after us in the faith so that they can learn to believe what we believe. Another myth about passing on our faith to the next generation is that some would say, well, that's the job of the professionals. I mean, you're the pastor. Why don't you pass it down? And while it is my responsibility to teach and to instruct and to proclaim the Word of God, we all have a responsibility to share the truth. The Great Commission to go and to teach all nations, to make disciples, that wasn't just given to pastors. It was given to all believers. As parents, grandparents, church members, it is our responsibility. Yes, it is our privilege to pass on the truth that we've received. That's why we do what we call here discipleship. That's why we do it. Because if we don't actively and intentionally and purposefully pass it down, it doesn't really pass down as well as we think it does. For too long, many times, we've had the attitude, well, as long as they were in church, it's going to be okay. As long as we kept them from this bad stuff, it's going to be okay. Folks, we have a responsibility and an opportunity to break this cycle that is so prevalent in our world. You can go back in history and find it. You can look in God's Word and find it. You can look even in the people around us in our own city and see this kind of cycle taking place. A third myth about passing down the truth that some would say is, well, it's just not worth the effort. It's a lot of work. It is hard work. And it's true that not everyone will follow faithfully. But there is great joy in it. I love what the Bible says in 3 John 1 and verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Parents, you want great joy in your life? Teach your children. Discipline your children. Instruct your children so that they walk in truth. It'll give you great joy. Some of the older folks in our church who have children who are grown and grandchildren can tell you some of their greatest joys are in seeing their children do well. And some of their greatest sorrows are in seeing the struggle of their children. It's just a reality. So if you want to focus on finding, how can I get joy? What can I focus on? Your children are going to be some of the greatest joys and the greatest pains that you ever have. And this is not just true in the nuclear family. It's also true in a church family. Some of the greatest joy that we see in a church is for the next generation. I'm not just speaking about children. I'm speaking about spiritual children. Those that we see come to Christ. Those who are new believers. Seeing them grow in their faith. That brings great joy to us as a body, doesn't it? to see people excited and growing. They might be adults already physically, but spiritually it's all new to them. 
and they're growing. They're excited. They got a smile on their face. They're not even sure what's totally going on, but they know God's working in their life. They're learning the truth. They're beginning to walk by faith. That brings great joy to the body, doesn't it? Of course, it happens with young children as well as they learn, as they grow. My daughter walked in this morning and my wife's fixing her hair and getting her ready for church and said, we're going to church to worship the Lord. And they begin to have a conversation about how much, Carissa said, how much she loves Jesus. Say, she's five. How can she really love Jesus? Oh, I think the love of a child is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. It's a good thing to teach your children to love Jesus. Some would say in our culture today, don't teach your children these things. Let them make up their mind for themselves. Folks, if children were good at doing that, God wouldn't have needed to give them parents. If kids knew what was best for themselves, they'd just sort of be born and live. We live in a society today that says, Hey, the government knows better than you do how to raise your kids. Hey, the school knows better how to raise your kids than you do. The reality is we also live in a society where many parents have believed that lie and have quit trying to learn for themselves what God says of how to pass the truth down to their children. They say, I don't know. We've got to leave it to the professionals. I mean, these people have degrees. They studied child psychology. They know this stuff. Folks, God's given us everything we need to be able to pass the truth down to our children. God's given us everything we need to be able to pass the truth down to the next spiritual generation in our church so that we could continue on faithfully for the Lord. He's put it for us right here in His Word. We've got to be very careful that we don't fall into the trap of believing these lies about passing the truth. I love what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul is saying, we've poured our lives into you. We have given ourselves to you. Another passage in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we were among you as a mother cares for her children. Paul says, we were willing to give even our own lives for your sake. And he says, you're our joy. You're our crown. Parents, you understand this. You give up your sleep for your children. You give up your money for your children. Kids, tear up your house. They make a mess. Some of you who don't have children, you have this clean house, and you're like, we have such busy lives. We don't know what we do. Have some kids, all right? Then you'll learn what busy is, okay? I thought I was busy too. And I thought I was a really good person and very disciplined and unselfish. And then we had a child. And after a while, Trevor's growing up, I, he, he, he was God's sandpaper to help smooth out some rough edges on me. And as a baby, helped me grow. And I really matured and I was really doing great. And then Micah came along. And I realized I still had a long way to go. And then, of course, that second one grows up and you think, all right, we've got this. We got it figured out. And then all of a sudden you realize there's a big difference between man to man and zone defense. 
when the third one comes along and all of a sudden there's two of you and three of them and you're trying to chase them all. How, how, do, you, how do two people guard three? You know, how, how, do you, how do you take care of all that? And then we just didn't know what was good for ourselves. We didn't know how to stop. And number four and number five come along. And, and now what are we going to do? Folks, the same thing can happen in a church. It's exciting when the first one comes. And it's work and it's a challenge and we're not sure what to do and we're figuring it out as we go and we're trying to teach them everything we know and pass it down and we feel, boy, we're doing great. And then God sends the second one along and it's a little bit frightening, but it's still exciting. Oh, but then that third child, that third one comes along you say, God, did you really mean to send this family to our church? God, this person is a problem. God, what am I going to do about them? They have problems I don't know how to help. And then the fourth and the fifth. And in a healthy church, it just doesn't stop. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty, a hundred, two hundred. What are we going to do with all these babies? See, we can either just give up it's exciting when they're born, right? And we can just then throw up our hands. Or we can say, no, God's given us a special responsibility, a special opportunity to pass down the truth. And if we're faithful to do what God calls us to do, God's faithful to do the work to continue to build His church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is going to build His church with or without you. With or without me. Because He's God. He doesn't need me. And He doesn't need you. But He wants to use you. We need Him. And if we'll walk by faith, I think God can continue to do some great and wonderful things in our church and even in your own family. You say, Pastor, we got a lot of problems in our family right now. Keep walking by faith, following God in the truth. We're going to go through some simple principles here this morning as we look at these people and what they did to instruct us, to warn us, to encourage us and challenge us so that we might, as a church, continue forward by faith, continue to see God bless, continue to see God grow His church here and our church and that we might also see God grow us in our own individual hearts and lives. I want you to notice some characteristics of these first-generation Christians. These, they wouldn't have been technically called Christians back then, I understand that. But we, and we think of it in today's context, a first-generation Christian. This first generation that followed God, that saw the works of the Lord. You see that at the end of verse 7, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that He did for Israel. First generation Christians, first of all, must obey God. They must obey God's Word. You say, what do you mean obey God's Word? Well, I mean obey Him even when I can't comprehend every detail of the situation. I mean, we need to obey God's Word consistently even when I don't feel like it. The first people in the land 
had vivid recollections of all the miracles and judgments, and they were devoted to faith, duty, and purity. Faith, duty, and purity. The new generation, though, of Israelites that came up, they were ignorant of the experiences of their parents. I'm not saying they were dumb. They were ignorant. Do you understand the difference? I'm not saying that there was something wrong with them mentally. It wasn't that at all. They were just ignorant of the truth. We live in a society today that's not somehow mentally deficient. They're plenty smart. They're just ignorant of the truth. That's why we're in the situation that we're in. It's not that God doesn't still work. It's not that the truth has somehow changed. It's that people don't know the truth and people don't obey the truth. You see, God had given His people a command to obey Him and His Word. Take your Bible, if you have it there, turn back to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a very specific command that God gives to His people. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and begin reading in verse number 1. He says, Now therefore hearken, that means listen, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them. So we always listen to God's Word with the purpose of obeying it, to do it. Notice he says that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you. So obeying God's word means I don't get to add my own opinions and ideas on top of God's word. I have to obey what God says. Notice he also says, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. I don't get to take away from God's Word and say, I want to obey this over here, but I don't really like that part over there. No, he says, don't add to it, don't take away from it. You say, well, this command was just given to the Israelites. Okay, go to the book of Revelation. It says the same thing. This is the Word of God. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. This is the Word of God, okay? He says that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. This was a place where people of God turned from God and went away from God and God brought judgment on these people at Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear of these statutes and say, I love this, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Did you catch that? God says, obey my word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Stay faithful to do what I tell you to do. And when you go into the land, and there are those other people around that don't follow the same truth that you follow, 
they will hear what you're doing, they will see what you're doing and say, wow, this is a great nation of wise and understanding people. Isn't that interesting? You know why so many churches today, so many people in church today, are not, are, are kind of looked down on by society? One of the reasons is because of our own sin and impurity in our own lives. So people outside the church, they look at some of the people in the church and they say, they're hypocrites, they're no different than me. They don't look at, some people don't look at church people as wise and understanding people. You say you don't believe that? Turn on a lot of the sitcoms of the day and TV shows at night. When it comes to religious things and church things, you see churches made fun of, people put in a bad light. You see fathers and good mothers sort of looked down on as something's wrong with them. You see pastors kind of seen as frivolous people. Why? It's because of the sin of us in the church. And the sin of the people of Israel did not bring God's blessing, did not bring the admiring eyes of the neighbors. Instead, it brought people that said, I don't want anything like what they have. Keep reading in verse 7. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God, as in all things that we call upon Him for? And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? He's saying, we have the truth. There is no other nation that has the truth like we do. And for us today, we would say, not speaking in a national sense, but speaking in the sense of the truth of God's word, we have the truth. This is the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. It's because it came from God. Any other truth that claims to be truth that is not part of this book, that's not part of the Word of God, is not truth or it's just a perversion of the truth. This is the truth. Notice he says in verse 9, Only take heed to thyself. Pay attention to yourself. Look at what you're doing. He says, keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. So what happens when I forget to pay attention to my own obedience to God's word? When I just start to coast spiritually and get comfortable where I'm at and say, Listen, I've been doing this a long time. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need any of that. Yes, pastor's going to preach that same message again. I've, I've heard this before. I know this truth. And we stop taking heed to ourselves. We get away from the truth. And notice then he speaks of how to pass it down. He says, But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. So first-generation Christians must obey God's Word. Secondly, first-generation Christians must pass the truth on to the next generation. So it requires obedience on your own part. There are many parents today that are trying to pass truth down to their children, but are not living by that truth themselves. And they say things like this, Do what I say, 
not what I do. Parents, if you're doing that to your children, you are hurting them. You're not helping them. Folks, as a church, as God brings new believers into our church, as people trust Christ, as we go out into the world, as we'll talk about this afternoon in our vision service and talk about what we're planning to do this next year to go out and minister to people in this community and share the gospel with people in this community, as we go out and do that faithfully, if they come into this church and they see a group of people who don't follow the same truth that they're trying to proclaim, it's not going to help them, it's going to hurt them. Why would God send his babies to a place that they're going to be hurt? He wants to send his babies to a place that they're going to be helped. And we have the truth to be able to help, to be able to feed those babies, nourish those babies, take care of those babies, encourage and help them to grow in their walk with the Lord. But if we just say, hey, do what we say, and we stand up and we preach the truth and we say it's the truth but then we it's not real in our own lives we don't live it we 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 sound good and sing the praise here but then we go out and live our own life and do whatever we want to do it doesn't get passed down instead the exact opposite happens we will push people away and make them rebel we live in a world today i talk to people all the time invite them to church share them the gospel with them they say i don't need that i've already been to church I used to go to such and such a church, but I I don't want to ever go to church again. Why? Because they've been hurt by church people who were saying, this is the truth, but weren't living the truth. They were saying one thing and not doing it. And so I think we have a whole bunch of people in our American society that have been inoculated against the truth. Like they've had a little shot of truth, but they've had it in a bad way. And so they're like, I don't want any more of that. Because it didn't really change those people's lives, so how could it change my life? Has the truth changed your life? Has mine, amen. If it's changed your life, it ought to show. You ought to be different because of it. So first generation must read and obey God's word. First generation Christians must also pass the truth on to the next generation. That's what he says there in that last verse we just read in Deuteronomy 4. Teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. We call it discipleship here, but that's what it is. Leading by example. Take them with you as you obey the Lord. We don't just want to sit in church and declare, obey God, and this is what we believe. We want to take those new believers with us. Say, come with us. We're going to go tell some people about Jesus today. Why don't you come with me? I want want you to see how I do it and so you can learn to do it too. Come with us. We're going to be serving today over here. Come with us. We're going to be putting on a special event at the church to minister to children. Sit with me. I'm going to be studying God's word with so-and-so over here and I'd like you to sit in on this too so you can listen and you can learn and you can grow. Take them with you. I love what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8. He says, And ye became followers of us. Did you notice that? Followers of us and of the Lord. So we're trying to teach people to follow God ultimately, but Paul, but the reality is when two people are gathered together, or a group of people gathered together, people are going to be following one another. They're going to be taking their cues off of one another. 
you feel more comfortable to sing when other people around you are singing. By the way, wasn't a choir a blessing this morning? Our first time to have a choir. And if you're interested in being a part of that, talk to Brother Billy. He's doing a great job with them. And they're going to be working on more songs and singing. That's going to help us. I think it's going to encourage other people to sing because they see these people up here singing. Now, choir, when you're up here singing, put a smile on your face. Sing out because you have an opportunity for someone to follow you. Here's the thing. If we brought you into church this morning, right? Wouldn't this be funny? It wouldn't be funny, but I think it'd be funny, okay? Some of you say that'd just be mean. But if we brought you into church this morning and Alan gets up to lead the song, join us as we sing, but we'd all planned to not sing and just let you sing by yourself. And you just, you look around, no one else is singing. You'd stop singing pretty quickly too. Eh, It'd be a couple of you that would, I'm going to sing anyway. But most of you would stop singing. Why? Because we become followers of each other. It's just naturally how it happens. And yes, we need to follow Christ, but we look at other people and we take our cues from them. Listen, there is somebody sitting in this room this morning that is taking their cues from you. You say, really? I I don't even know anybody. I'm new here. People are watching. You say, people need to quit watching everybody else. It's what we do. We're people, okay? If you can't get over that, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go home and get in your closet and hide under a blanket or something. And then all of us will be sitting here, why are they at home under a blanket in their closet? They're still watching you. They're just not there looking at you, right? There's always somebody watching you. We have an opportunity to pass the truth down. When you sing, other people encourage to sing. When you're faithful to follow God, other people encourage to be faithful in following God. When you obey the Word of God, other people say, I'm going to obey the Word of God. When you get up and put a smile on your face and say, life's hard, but God's good, praise the Lord, other people say, wow, He must be good. They, they somehow got it. Maybe I can get it too. Became followers of us and of the Lord. Paul said it this way in another place, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to ask you this morning, are you following Christ? Are you following Christ so that someone else could follow you and find Christ? Because there are people following you. So by following you, will they find Christ or will they find something very different than Christ? We have a great opportunity to pass the truth down to the next generation. We have a great opportunity to disciple new believers that God sends our way. We have a great opportunity to share the gospel with this community. First generation Christians must pass the truth. Notice what happens here. He says, you receive the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. Keep reading. So that ye were in samples. It's the old way to spell it. You were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul said, you became followers of me, and then you were an example to somebody else. I'm sure you've played the game, follow the leader. Maybe you did it as a small child. Maybe some of you parents are now doing it with your small children, grandparents doing it with children. And the first person in the line, they start doing something, the next person does it, and it goes right on down the line. This is what happened with this church. Paul said, you followed us, and then other people began to follow you. Isn't that neat? See, 
God, I, I remember before we moved here to Houston, back to Houston, I'm from here, of course, but before we came back here to start this church, there was a, a sweet older lady in our church. We came from a, a, a different place and we were at the time ministering in Indiana at a church there and this sweet older lady came to me and she said, how can our little church help start a, another church in Houston? We're just a little church. It's through the power of influence, through discipleship, through some of those people were examples to me, and then I have the opportunity to be examples to a few other people, and then some of you can be examples to even more people, and more people, and more people. It doesn't take a huge crowd to start something new. It just takes one. It doesn't take a huge crowd to see God do a great work. It just takes one person to walk by faith. You can make a difference. God hears your prayers. Someone is looking at whether or not you are walking by faith. Sure, you might not affect everybody in the whole world, but you could affect one person. And that could make all the difference in that person's life. I'm sure you've heard the story of the little boy out on the beach one day. And there was a big storm the night before and a lot of starfish had washed up on the beach. The little boy was walking along the beach and he'd bend down, he'd pick up a starfish and he'd throw it back out in the ocean. But I mean, there were hundreds, even thousands of starfish out there on the beach. And this man came up to this little boy and said, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. How can you make a difference? The boy just bent down. He picked one up and threw it in the ocean. He said, I made a difference for that one. Amen. It's discouraging sometimes if we look at everything that needs to be done. Say, I can't do it all. No, but you can do something. Amen. You can be faithful with what God's given you. Well, I don't have all the money. Be faithful with the money God has given you. Well, I don't have all the time. Be faithful with the time you do have. I, I'm weak. I'm struggling. I'm sick. Be faithful with what God has given you. See, you can be faithful with what God has given you. The Bible tells us we're all just stewards. In other words, everything we have, our time, our talent, our money, everything, it's not really ours, it's God's. God gave it to us. And, and He might have given you a lot, He might have given you a little. But He just wants you to be faithful with what you have. And if you'll be faithful with what you have, God will continue His great master plan of accomplishing what needs to be done. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. The, second, or the first generation must pass down the truth to the next generation. The Bible says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. How do you teach somebody? Well, by example and by what you say. What you do and what you say. Thirdly, and I'm trying to finish up here this morning. I'm just excited. I hope you're excited too. Lunch will be shortly here. Let me just finish up. So we need to read and obey God's Word. We need to relate the truth to others. Thirdly, first generation Christians must take steps of faith. You say, what do you mean steps of faith? Well, this first generation, they had seen God part the Red Sea. They went forward by faith. They saw God protect them from the Egyptian army as they went forward by faith. 
They experience God's provision of bread, of manna in the wilderness. They saw when God brought water out of the rock. See, God can do those things? Yes, He can. He's God. They saw God part the Jordan River. He saw God, they saw God knock down the walls of Jericho when all they did was march around them each day, once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. The Bible says they shouted and they blew the trumpet and the walls fell down flat. These walls were so big that the Bible tells us there were literally people that had built their houses inside of the walls. That's a big wall. And archaeologists have gone back over to that area of the world and excavated different cities, and they found that to be true, that some of these ancient cities, the walls were so thick that they could actually have chariot races on top of the walls. That's amazing. That's how big these walls were. The children of Israel were not an army. They were just a whole bunch of families, people. They had been slaves. They traveled across the wilderness. They get to the city of Jericho, and some of them say, Jericho, the Bible says, shut their doors up tight, and they were walled off. No one could get in. No one could get out. <laughs> and imagine if God would to come to us. Say, all right, there's this great thing that needs to be done. You say, well, we can't do that. God says, all right, Monday morning, I want you to all meet at the church, 6 a.m., and we're going to all march around the church one time. You're not gonna, you can't speak, be quiet. And it wasn't just marching around a church. They were marching around a whole city. This took most of the day probably to get that many people around the city. And God says on Tuesday, you're going to do the same thing again. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You say, this is nuts. What are we doing? God says, oh, by the way, you're going to do it seven times on the seventh day. Seven times. Does it ever feel like a weariness to follow God sometimes? You ever get tired? Does it sometimes feel pointless following God? I mean, it can. Does it sometimes feel empty? Like, what are, what are we doing here anyway? I don't know what was going through those people's mind, but I'm just imagining if I was in that situation, that's how my, I might have been feeling. But imagine what it must have felt like when on the seventh day, after they marched around that city, now 13 times total, the seven plus six. And they gave the shout and the trumpet blew and the walls came down. These walls that couldn't be scaled by an army, that couldn't be penetrated through. God says, those walls aren't a problem for me. <laughs> Flat. The Bible says people just walked in. They walked in. And the city of Jericho was so amazed by this. I mean, we don't even read of any real fighting going on. They just marched in and took the city. So we look at our problems in life and it's like, but God, those walls are really big, really wide. God, we can't do that. We might look at some things in our church and say, but God, that's a really big thing. Is anything too hard for God? The, third, the first generation, if we're going to stay faithful to the Lord and pass it down to the next, we must continue to take steps of faith. One of the things my wife and I talked about in coming and starting this church is we wanted to take a step of faith 
bigger than we had ever done in our lives so that our children might see us taking that step of faith so that it might encourage them to take steps of faith themselves someday. We had that conversation before we ever moved here. I, and I remember telling her, I feel like this is something God has laid on my heart to do. I'm scared to do it because I'm leaving security and I'm going to something that's insecure and unsure and I'm not sure where I'm going. That's what it feels like to walk by faith. But I said, if we don't do it now, our kids are going to grow up and, and we won't ever have that opportunity again. Folks, we, we should never pass up an opportunity to take a step of faith because we don't know who's watching. We don't know who's following. And our lack of faith could end up discouraging somebody else that could help them. Your faith is demonstrated by your obedience to God's Word. So let me kind of summarize this and give a few final warnings and we'll be done. So we must, if we're going to remain first-generation Christians, and what I mean by that is bringing that second generation to, in a sense, becoming first-generation Christians themselves. Where they now obey God's Word. Where they now are passing the truth down to the next generation. Where they now are taking steps of faith. I don't want to be the only one doing that. I don't want these people that have come, you people who have come in our first year, first two years as a church, to be the only ones that take steps of faith. I want there to be a whole other generation coming after us that does that, and a generation after that, and after that, and after that, and after that. You say, well, you can't see that far. No, I can't. But I can be faithful to what God has called me to do and trust Him to continue to take care of those things that come after Read and obey the word, relate the truth to others, and rely on God to keep His word. So here's a few warnings as we finish. Some problems of not passing down your faith to the next generation. We see these people here in verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. We read of a generation who forgot where the power came from they forgot how they got where they were they forgot where the blessings came from they it was just kind of handed to them they didn't have to march in by faith and follow god they, they just had to keep doing what they were already doing and it is more comfortable to just do what you know it's hard to do something different but if following God is what we ought to be doing and that's different than what you've been doing or what you've experienced, I promise you, you'll never regret following the Lord. They forgot where their peace came from. I mean, they marched in and they faced all these difficulties. Who gave them peace in the land? God did. But see, when you're living in a time of peace, it's easy to forget why you have that peace. Folks, the same thing has happened in our own nation. We live, have lived in relative peace in our nation for many years. And what do we see in our nation? People who don't care about the same principles that got us to where we were in the first place. Why? And folks, it, I, I don't know about you, I'm concerned for our country. Because we live in a nation that as a whole is not following the principles that got us to where we are today. We've forgotten where the power came from. We've forgotten 
where the blessings come from. We've forgotten where the peace comes from. We've forgotten where the hope comes from. Folks, may we never forget where salvation comes from. That's what happened to these people. They failed to pass it down. Folks, we're in a good place. We've got a lot to rejoice. i got a whole thing written up that after we eat lunch, I can't wait to share with you all these blessings. I'm going to hand you a copy and you can look at it too. It's exciting. We're going to praise the Lord together. But folks, if all we can do is look back, and yeah, we had a few good years, that'd be really sad, wouldn't it? It's exciting now, but that'd be sad 10 years from now if all we said, well, it was a good run while it lasted. But we didn't pass it down. And so it was lost. Folks, let's be faithful. I think this goes right along with our theme. Let's advance. Let's go forward. Let's continue to walk by faith. Let's let's be obedient to God's Word. Let's be careful to continue to disciple and pass down the truth. Let's not be afraid to walk by faith, not by sight. Your sight is so narrow. My sight is so limited. Walking by faith is unlimited because we're following God who sees everything. Would you commit to doing this with me? Say, Pastor, this year as God allows, I want to be faithful to obey His Word. I don't want to ask you to do anything that God wouldn't ask you to do. I realize I'm a human being. I'm going to make some mistakes. I might even say some things. might even be off sometimes. I try to be right with what the Bible says, but I want you to commit, say, before God. I don't want to just follow pastor. I want to follow God. I am going to read and obey His Word. This year, 2019, I'm going to commit to advancing in my understanding of God's Word and my faithfulness to obey it. Would you make that commitment with me? Would you commit this year to say, I'm going to commit to passing on my faith to somebody else. I'm going to share my faith that somebody might trust Christ as their Savior. And then as they, someone has trusted Christ as their Savior, I'm going to continue to share my faith with them and teach them what God has taught me. Would you commit to doing that this year? He said, I don't know how we're going to do that. You can do it, though. And we'd like to help you as a church. That, that's part of what a church is supposed to do. Ephesians 4 says, pastors, one of our jobs is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what we're going to help you do. We'll be talking about some of that this afternoon. Would you commit to doing that? Maybe some of you say, I've never done that before. Well, don't let that stop you from doing what you should do now. Would you commit with me to walking by faith this year? Listen, I know I don't live at all of your houses. I don't know what's all going on in your life. I don't. And I'm not expecting you to somehow, I I don't want us to live a sort of my home life and then my church life and no one really knows, the two will never cross. No, our life before God ought to be together. I realize you have problems. If you haven't realized it yet, I'll let you know right now, I have problems too. None of us is standing here saying, well, we got it. No, God has it. But would you commit to take some steps of faith with me this year? And let's just trust God and see what God just might do.
It'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm already looking forward to 2020 and sitting back and say, wow, look what God did. Folks, we can't just jump over this year. It's a daily commitment to obedience and walk by faith because there's going to be some challenges come this year that we have no way of knowing that they're going to come. Some of you may go through some awful things this year. God's with you. Walk by faith. And if we'll be faithful to do these things, we know God will be faithful to be with us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And would you, if you're willing to make that commitment to the Lord, would you just tell Him that right now, there in your seat, when you talk to God, would you pray with Him, say, Lord, I'm going to commit to do this. I'm going to commit to read Your Word and obey it. I'm going to commit to pass my faith on to somebody else. I'm going to commit to the best of my ability. God, You're in charge. But I'm going to share the gospel and trust you to bring somebody to Christ. God, I'm going to be faithful to try to share the truth and pass it down with others. And God, I'm going to be faithful this year to trust you and to walk by faith. If you do that, let's just take time right now. Let's pray to God. Father, help us. Lord, these things... Lord, I want to be careful that the emphasis does not become on man, but that the emphasis stays on you. Lord, these things seem on one side very human-focused. What can we do? How can we work? Lord, we're nothing without you. Lord, I humble myself now before you and ask you to help me be faithful to obey your word. Help me to share the truth with others. Lord, I I have no truth but what you have given me through your word. Lord, help me to walk by faith. I, I am so fearful sometimes. And while I might be able to put a good face on, Lord, you know the struggles. I can't hide anything from you. Help me to walk by faith. Lord, I pray for each one that's here this morning. Encourage them, help them. Lord, I pray that as we go through these next few weeks and months and this next year, that we'll be able to look back and give you praise for all that you've done, for the souls that have been saved, for the lives that have been changed, for the marriages that have been restored, for the growth that we've experienced in our church, for the work that's been accomplished in your name for the people that have been hurting, that have been helped. Lord, that it might all be done to your praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.